starting a new series today called The Tale of Two Mountains. And the Tale of Two Mountains. I'm really excited to bring it to you. I want to talk to you about Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. I want to talk to you about grace. I, for many years, have been a preacher of grace. But at the same time, I've always remembered why we need that grace. And so today, I want to bring us to some remembrance of some things of how far we've fallen so that we walk away saying, you know what? I'm so grateful for Jesus Christ. Amen? Everything God has for us has come to us through the goodness of God and the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. But sometimes in our world, we don't talk about the need we have for that grace anymore. And so I want to help us understand the need we had as well as be grateful for the solution that God provided for us. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 18 through 24. I'll read it to you, and then I'll do some teaching on it. Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 18. Are you ready? You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, and gloom, of whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. How many of you ever saw The Prince of Egypt, the cartoon? Would you raise your hand? How many of you saw The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's the real one. That's the King James movie right there. Amen. Not that it was extremely biblically accurate, but it was entertaining. It was, it was good. You've come to Mount Sinai, not come to Mount Sinai, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's commands. If even an animal touched the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have not come. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Can we just say amen to that? The Bible is comparing and contrasting these two mountains, saying that you're not coming to Mount Sinai like the children of Israel did, where there was whirlwinds and lightning and fire and this loud trumpet sound of God when he spoke that the people couldn't bear it to where even Moses was saying, I tremble and I'm shaking. We didn't come to that mountain to where it was so holy and it was so powerful, so terrifying and so awesome that if an animal or a human being were to touch that mountain, they would be immediately put to death. We've come to Mount Zion. We've come not only to approach the mountain, but we've been welcomed all the way into the throne of grace. We've been, woke, we've been welcomed right into the presence of God. They couldn't approach the mountain, the physical mountain, and we can approach the Father. 
Amen. In the first mountain, Mount Sinai, the judgment of God was present. In Mount Zion, the love and the payment and the goodness and access to God is what's present for us. You know, the angels were ready to bring judgment to those who would violate the mountain in Mount Sinai, but in Mount Zion, the angels are throwing a party as we come to Christ. They're celebrating us approaching the mountain. Do you see the difference between the two mountains? Aren't you glad that we get to come to Mount Zion? Amen. Something compelled the author of Hebrews to compare and contrast these two mountains. We know historically that the Jewish believers were constantly being tempted to go back to the law, to go back to the traditions of their families, to the way, the customs, the cultures, the way that they always knew to become right with God, at least they wanted to become right with God, through the law. And Paul, or the author of Hebrews, there's some debate on if it's Paul or not, was comparing and contrasting these two mountains saying, what is there to go back to? My Jewish brothers and sisters, what is there to go back to? The mountain you want to go back to was one of fire and darkness and whirlwind and judgment and fear and trembling. And the mountain that you're now a part of is God himself, is his throne of grace is the heavenly people and the righteous ones and through the blood of Jesus, what is there to go back to? But yet there was still this desire to go back. Part of it was, and I think even in the verse, the author is saying there was this physical mountain and sometimes our human nature wants to do something that we can see, do something that we can do in the natural that makes us feel like we've done something to earn our salvation where this Mount Zion now is spiritual and is one received by faith and not by something physical that we can do, but something that Jesus did. But he's trying to help them. What is there to go back to in this, this terrifying scene of Mount Sinai? What you have now is so much better. If you want to go back and read that scene you can go to Exodus chapter 19 at another time, Exodus 19, verses 10 through 25, and you can read for yourself and see the fire, the smoke, the whirlwind, the volume of God's voice and the fear that it created. But you might ask, why? Why was there that scene? Why, why did God show up in such a awesome and terrifying way to the children of Israel. What, what was that all about? What was the purpose of the fire and the smoke and, and the whirlwind? Why did God do that? And I think it's important that we remember that this was also Israel's first time seeing God or meeting their God. They've heard about him through their ancestors and they had been told of his promises and this was a first impression moment. And they were seeing God. Sometimes I think it's important that we remember that God is awesome. Our culture has kind of tried to shrink God down into their own image when he far exceeds anything we could think or imagine. And there's a shift that needs to happen in our culture and I think even in the church. And though God, I don't believe, is wanting us to be afraid of him, we have lost some of our awe 
Not because he's lost his awesomeness, but because we don't see him for who he really is. Because we're believing these shrunk down versions of God, of one that can be taken or left, rather than the awesome God of the universe. Sometimes I kind of wish we had a little bit of smoke, fire, and whirlwind and lightning just to shake us up a little bit and to remember that he's not one to be trifled with. He's not one to be mocked and he's not one to be ignored. He is the God of the universe. He is God Almighty. And he's awesome. We just take a moment and just, God, you are awesome. I want to preach this message, God, but I need you to help me because I don't just want to talk and I don't want to perform. I'm trying to help us as the body see something here. Please help me, God. Help us remember who you are and how big you are, how wonderful you are. And God, may it not cause us to run away in terror, but help us to be so grateful for Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can approach the same awesome God And that same power and that same mighty hand and the throne of the universe is now made approachable and accessible because of what Jesus did. You didn't shrink down to something smaller. You increased us to something greater. Jesus, you're amazing. God, you're amazing. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It was on that Mount Sinai moment, kind of through another couple of days and months, that God began to unpack his law. He began to share with the people his expectations, began to share with the people from himself about what holiness is, what character is, what right and wrong is. And also then judgment was connected to the breaking of that law. And so this was an awesome moment. This was a powerful moment. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the law today, but I'm gonna couch it all in the grace of Jesus. I think we need a reminder that there is a standard of right and wrong. I think we need to go back and see some of the expectations and the measuring stick of God in the church. I believe in the grace of God. I am thankful for the grace of God, but there's also been a weird shift where we've stopped talking about the law at all, and we're concerned if we ever bring up the Ten Commandments that somehow we're doing something wrong, or we're gonna somehow violate the grace of God. And I don't believe that's true. I believe in understanding that we've broken the law and that we've broken the character of God and we've stepped out of the holiness of God, that we realize our desperate need for the grace of God. I will not preach the Ten Commandments, I will not preach the law in a way that you believe you can fulfill them on your own because they're too holy, they're too much for us. But you must realize that they still exist because they are reflections of who God is. They're not just wishes or rules that God created. He was teaching them about himself. 
He was teaching them about his nature, his character, which still remains and is still the measuring stick of the universe. Are you understanding me, church? And so I'm not going to water down the grace of God by saying that you can somehow, some way, go back to Mount Zion and purify yourself. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot fulfill the law. You cannot. It's perfect, and you're broken, and I'm broken. But we must understand there is a law. There is expectation. There is standard, which I hope when you walk away from today, you say, makes me so thankful for Jesus. It doesn't put you under condemnation to where you think I've got to go perfect myself. It makes you realize there's no way I could have ever met that thing. I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus. And I will never let him go. I would never trade him for one thing. Are you hearing me, church? I'd like to say that even though the law brought judgment, the law is still holy. The law is perfect and the law is good. The law is not evil. The law was God verbalizing his will, which comes from his nature and his holiness and his perfection. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans, if you would please, chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Well then, Paul speaking, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not! Exclamation point. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting was wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But then sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have had that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came alive. It reminds me of when you walk in a room and there's a sign on a wall that says, wet paint, don't touch. All of a sudden, all you want to do is touch it. <laughs> you never would have thought about it until there was a command there. And now you're like, oh man, I just, just one, just one. And that's that nature on the inside of us, that fallen nature that's being awakened by that command. Are you understanding that? And then I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and they deceived me. It used the command to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy, right, and good. But how can that be? Did the law which, got, which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. See, I want us to understand the purpose of the law, but not try to fulfill it, because there's no way that we can fulfill it. But the purpose now is to show us that we need a savior. The purpose of that law is to show us that we have broken from God's nature. We have broken from God's holiness. We've broken from God's goodness. And we need a payment for what is called sin, my friends. Are you hearing me? 
Like the Ten Commandment movies, so many times the Ten Commandments, you see them depicted on stone. And you see the Ten Commandments, and there's other laws, but the ones that we're going to address today are the Ten Commandments. But I want you to see that the law doesn't bend. The law doesn't break on tablets of stone. It doesn't bend to the will of society. Come on, church. Because this comes from God's nature. This comes from God's holiness, from genuine truth, genuine good. Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, but that's God. God is the good in the universe. Which means if our entire world were to vote that they don't believe in God's holiness or God's truth or God's ways or God's standards, it would still stand because it doesn't bend. Are you hearing me? It doesn't bend to the wills of the people, to the whims of society. Amen. It's right because it's right because it comes from God himself. The law doesn't bend or compromise to the wills or whims of culture. So why are we talking about this, Pastor Kevin? It seems kind of like a heavy conversation. Why are you bringing us back to this? <laughs> I believe because we live in a world that's telling us there's no such thing as sin anymore. And they say that truth is what's true for them. And our world is going nuts. We don't know what's right or wrong. It's whatever we feel is right. It's whatever our community says is right. But there's no one greater than ourselves to ask in our own society. But there is one greater that we could ask. Are you understanding, church? The world is telling us there's no sin, there's no right or wrong, there's no standards, there's no truth. And we're getting really far gone, and we're going into some dangerous waters. And now when people even hear about Jesus, it's come to Jesus because he'll make you happy. Come to Jesus because he'll give you a purpose. Come to Jesus because he'll give you prosperity. Jesus came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you don't believe you've sinned, then you don't value why he came. And you don't receive him with complete thankfulness and gratefulness because there's no such thing as sin. So now Jesus is here to just make me happy. But what if he's not making me happy? What if he's not bringing me my money? What if my life is uncomfortable? See, here's the thing. Will you be happier living with God? Sure, of course. But one of the primary reasons that we need to remember we need Jesus isn't about being happy. It's because we needed a savior. A savior from what? A savior from sin. Sin is actually 
causing to steal more of your happiness than you realize. So in Jesus removing sin and its power over you, you'll find the happy. If you look for the happy without removing the sin, that version of happy is not going to keep you happy because sin is still dominating your life. Still killing and stealing and destroying from your life. Are you understanding this? The greatest prosperity is access to God. And your sin is what's keeping us out of that presence. Not because he's trying to be punitive, not because he doesn't love us, but because he's holy. Sometimes we think God put these standards out there because he's angry and he's mean and he's bitter. He's none of those things. He's just holy. That's it. And we want a holy God to accept our unholiness on our terms. We want a holy God of truth to accept whatever truth we want. We're trying to bring him and make him in our image rather than allowing him to turn us into his image. And I'll get there in a minute, I'm a bit ahead of myself, but that violates some of the first two of those 10 commandments. You will have no other gods before me and you will make no graven images. You don't create your own image of God. Amen? Amen. So let me back up a bit so that I can get back on track with my message. We live in a world that's telling us there's no sin, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no standards. That's just not true. So Galatians chapter 3, 19 and 24 says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside of the promise. That was the promise of the coming of the Savior. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Okay? But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So one of the reasons the law was given was to help people realize how far they'd fallen. To help them realize that there was sin which was separating them from God. But the law wasn't able to make men righteous, many women righteous. There was a promise from God to make us righteous. And the law was there, parallel to the promise, until Jesus could come and fulfill the law so that we could be made right with God once and for all. Romans chapter three, verse 20. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Remember, this is New Testament. And Paul's a grace preacher. And he was trying to help people understand that they could not be saved by keeping the law. That was their mind space. The the Hebrews, the Jews, they kept thinking they could go back to somehow these rules and traditions and somehow make themselves right with God. And he's trying to say, you can't make yourself right with God, God through the law. The law wasn't, isn't able to help you. The law was only able to expose you. Are you understanding that? And so if you think that you can be saved by keeping the law, you're going to be disappointed because you're not that good. We cannot be saved, forgiven, by outworking our sin. We need a savior. We need Jesus Christ. The payment of that sin 
Amen. But the law shows us how sinful we are. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. So whatever sin it might be, we might think of big sins or little sins, and we're actually going to see here in a moment as I kind of just list out those top 10, that in the same top 10 that you have don't murder, you have don't lie. Are you hearing me? And so what we might sit there and say, big sin, little sin, any sin is a breaking of God's law. And the penalty of sin is death. Amen? The law only revealed our sin, but the law gives us no power to help us overcome sin. The law literally just states the truth and we begin to see how far we fall. We begin to see how far we've fallen. All of society's opinions and truths will be measured against God's holiness. They can beat against it all they want, but they will just shatter against it. I had an idea about bringing up like a big glass globe and like just shattering it against the rock. Because the truth is, all of our opinions as a culture, the law and God's holy, because remember, it's not just God's opinions about rules, it's expressions of himself. You have no other gods before him because there are no other gods than him. Are you hearing me, church? You're not supposed to lie because he's truth. Are you hearing me? And so you can take all the opinions of the world, all the philosophy of the world, and you can try to beat against the rules and law and holiness and perfection of God, and God will not break. Our opinions will shatter. Our philosophies and cultural trends and the spirit of this age would shatter against his unbending, unchanging way and self. So let's look at some of these 10 as a portion of the law, just to kind of show us how we cannot be made righteous in our own selves. Are you okay, church? Everyone doing okay? All right. First one I would write here, you shall have no other gods before me. And that still remains, even though we're in the dispensation or we are in this age of grace. You still, you still shall have no other gods before him. And I'll say it again, because there are no other gods than him. Amen. Number two, you shall not make idols. Don't carve your own images of God. And that's what our world wants to do all the time. It's we want God to be like this. If God was love, he would be like this. He would let us do whatever we feel feels good. That's not love. And you wouldn't do that for your own children. If you let your kids do everything they want to do, are you kidding me? First of all, we'd all be broke. <laughs> they would have belly aches every night. Right? They would have jumped off the house four times and broken every bone in their body, thinking they're a superhero. Love doesn't let you just do whatever you feel like doing. Love also says no. Love also says there's limits. Love also says this is how your life will prosper, even if it doesn't feel good to you at the time. 
You shall not make idols. Don't try to bring God down into who you want him to be. Worship him for who he is. And trust that who he is, even though in your own mind you might think he should be like this or like this, trust that who he is is who he needs to be. And you will learn as you transform by the renewing of your mind that his ways were always right. You just haven't gotten there yet. Your filter, your lens, your, your jaded way of thinking. I'm so thankful that he doesn't change based on our opinions. Are you hearing me, church? So many cultures who created hundreds of gods, you can go through the Romans, you can go through the Greeks, as they began to create their gods, they, they put so many of their own human attributes, they wanted their gods to be more like them. They had gods of sex, they have gods of partying, gods of war, gods of, are you hearing this? They would create gods that were more like them, where our God is trying to make us more like him. You see? A holy God. He's calling us up to where he is. And through Jesus Christ, he who's begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's going to help you grow into that full measure, the full stature of the knowledge of Christ. God isn't going to shrink his expectation down to where we live. He's bringing us up to his holiness, his goodness. Amen. You should make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't disrespect him. Don't treat him flippant. Amen. His name is holy. Don't just meaningless, his name on your lips meaningless, because what's going to happen is out of the abundance of your heart, you're speaking. And if we take him and we devalue him in our heart, we're going to devalue him out of our mouth. Why would I ever speak his name or be flippant with his name? His, author his name also carries his authority. Are you hearing that? And there's a good reminder here. Yes, are we in the, this time of grace? Absolutely. Thank God for Jesus. But his name is still holy. And just because you have forgiveness doesn't mean you should flippantly use his name or make gods in your own image or worship anything but him. Don't worship your career. Don't worship your money. Don't worship fame. Don't worship what the culture says about you because that's your God. Come on. Sometimes you look at it like making a little golden statue. No, we make idols all the time. Make idols out of our status. We make idols out of the world's opinion of us. We bow down to society. Don't, don't speak against us. Don't cancel me. Don't, don't come against me. Are you hearing me, church? And we're making idols and other things God in our life. We give them our time. We give them our talents. We give them our treasure. Other things other than the Lord. You shall still have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God has required us to take a day of rest and a day to honor God in your every week schedule. Are you hearing me? A day to reset. A day to say our whole family is going to go focus on the Lord today. Do you understand how much better off we would be as Christians if we just did, did that? Rather than going to church once a month, twice a year, but whether you feel like it or not, you unplug, you come together as believers, you genuinely worship God, bring your offerings, share your talents and abilities, 
as you're volunteering and serving, you're raising your kids every single week, your grandkids every single week to hear the word of the Lord, to be in the presence of God. God knows we need that and he knows how we're built. We still need that once a week reset. It's important. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. You're like, well, at least I've got one of those that I'm doing okay. Like the other ones I feel like maybe I've, but I got, I got that one. I haven't killed anybody. Some people say, you know, they ask you a question, why should God let you into his heaven? And you say, well, I haven't killed anybody. As if like that's the one standard, you know? But you know, Jesus said that if you, in your heart, say you hate somebody in your heart, you've already murdered them. So before you pat yourself on the back to say, well, I've never murdered anybody, have you ever hated anybody? Have you ever wanted vengeance on somebody? See, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, which means every one of us, even the sweetest among us, has broken the laws of God and need a savior. And we hold on to that savior with both hands. You shall not commit adultery. That's the next one. You shall not commit adultery. And you're like, well, I haven't committed adultery, but the Bible says if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. We need a savior. Again, the law is there, not, to, that, we can, not that we can do this thing on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Thank God, not only are we forgiven, he's given us the helper to help us grow, to help us say yes to righteousness, to help us live a righteous life. But we also need to remember that without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, we're a mess. And we're out of step with God, and we're out of step with eternity. And no matter how much we want God to change towards us, he's not, he cannot, he cannot change, he's unchanging. He's not gonna bend towards us. The rock, the granite is not gonna bend towards us. Amen. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Be content with what you have. And if you want more of something, go work for it. Don't take from somebody else. Don't steal. Don't steal from your employers. Don't steal from others. Don't steal. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Amen? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. Why? Because God is truth, and that's not gonna change. Don't lie to make yourself look good. Don't lie to get out of trouble. Don't lie. Don't let lying be a part of your nature. Don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to yourself. Thou shall not lie. God is truth. He's not gonna allow us to lie. It's not who he is. Amen. And aren't you glad that God doesn't tell lies? Because he said he'd forgive us through the blood of Jesus. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. He said we could go boldly into the throne of grace. He said that he's bringing us and turning us into sons and daughters of righteousness. He said this. He said he's our healer. He said he's our provider. He said he's for us and not against us. I'm so glad God doesn't lie. Amen. He said there's... He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Thank God. That means Jesus, the God in the flesh, told you there is eternity. 
and he goes to prepare a place for you. And when you transition into eternity, he will come and receive you unto himself. Thank you, Jesus, that he doesn't lie. He doesn't lie. And finally, you shall not covet. Don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't cover his, their wife. Don't cover their marriage. Don't covet their marriage. Don't cover the, their servants. Don't cover their animals. Don't cover their cars. Don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. Don't covet. You know why? Because covetous would lead to jealousy and hate and the murder and stealing and all these other things. We think that coveting is just, it's just, it's just an end in itself, but it actually breeds so much more sin. Be content with what you have. Find peace and be thankful. Amen? But you don't need to covet someone else. You don't need to covet their fame. You don't need to covet their job. You don't need to covet their influence. You don't need to covet their money. One of those things that would help us with that is for us to be starting to be thankful for what's already in our lives. Because then I'm not sitting there thinking I don't have anything. I begin thinking about all the things I'm already blessed with. And out of that position of gratefulness, God can continue to bless you with more. But when you sit there and think, I don't have anything, and they have it, and I should have what they have, that covetousness is going to turn into jealousy, murder, hate, all these things that we just talked about. Here's the thing about just having this discussion about God's standards, God's law. In our world, many times we're offering people an antidote to a disease they don't know they have. Even in church. We're like, you need Jesus to forgive you, but they don't realize that they've sinned and broken the law of God. They've come out of step with his holiness. That's a real thing, and he can't let us into his holy presence when we're in unholiness. Are you understanding the need of this? It's like you need, a, you need this antidote, but you don't know you're sick. You need this medicine, but you don't believe that you have this disease. But what if you knew you had a terminal illness and there was an antidote that someone was about to give you and said, if you take this antidote, you will live. Do you understand how much you would hold on to that antidote? You have a terminal disease. This antidote will save you from that death. And I'll, I'll say this. Even if the antidote didn't make you happy, you still wouldn't let it go. Even if other people persecuted you and pressured you and made fun of you, you still wouldn't let the antidote go because you knew this antidote was the only cure to that disease. Do you understand this, church? How many people, they just put their foot into Jesus. Is he going to make me a little happier? Is he going to make me a little richer? Is he going to make me a little bit famous? And then the moment there's pressure, and the moment there's discomfort, which there will be pressure and there will be discomfort, it's part of Christianity, it's part of life. But when you realize that you need Jesus because he's the only payment for sin, no good work that we can do can pay for our own sin.
He is the Lamb of God, God's peace offering that takes away the sins of the world. So no matter what I go through in life, I will not let go of Jesus. I will not let go of Jesus. He is my Savior. He is my antidote. Amen. The writer of Hebrews was warning that there's no peace trying to fulfill the law. The law is too good. It's too holy. It's too high. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the whole law. He is the offering for our sins, our sin of breaking the law. I heard a quote this week talking about when we break the law. It said this, when the will of God crosses the will of man, somebody has to die. When the will of God crosses the will of man, somebody has to die. God's will is his standard. God's will is himself and his holiness. And when we violate that will and we violate God's holiness and standards, someone has to die. And that someone is Jesus. He died for us. Because you see, the wages of sin is death. And that doesn't go away just because we want it to go away. The law still has to be satisfied. There's a payment for that breaking of the law, which is death. And Jesus chose to be that death for us. Matthew chapter 5, 17, just to remember that Jesus didn't just disregard the law in this new season, a new covenant. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings or the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purposes. Jesus came and fulfilled the law completely. Something that we could never do. He fulfilled the law completely. Romans 10, 1 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's ways of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. That is not what I'm preaching today, church. I'm telling you that you cannot be made right by keeping the law. You don't have the power to do it. You don't have the ability to do it. But that standard is there because God's holiness is unchanging. And so I'm trying to help awaken you that, yes, we have this sin issue. We have this this brokenness between us and the holiness of God and who God is, but thank God for Jesus Christ. I'm trying to help you hold on to Jesus and stop playing games with him. To understand that you need a savior. Whether you think you have big sins, little sins, doesn't matter. It's all violation against the nature of God himself. Amen. But Christ has already accomplished this purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Thank you, Jesus, that we believe in Jesus, and we've given him our lives, and he has made us back into that holy position with God, something we could never do. We could never have done it through keeping this law, and the law wasn't there to help us do it. But not only is Jesus forgiving us of breaking the law, he is there both helping us to will and do his good pleasure. And he's helped set us free from our fallen nature and has made us a partaker of the divine nature so that we have a desire to do the will of God in our lives. 
And when we miss it and when we misstep, he doesn't just bring the judgment that we deserve because all that judgment was poured out upon that offering, was poured out, all of God's wrath was placed upon the Lamb of God on that cross. And he took and consumed all the judgment that was our judgment. You have to realize though, we truly do deserve that judgment. We truly do deserve that separation from God. But thank God for Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter two, verse 16, and I'm done. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Could you pray with me? Stay seated. Let me pray this into your life. Heavenly Father, right now, I take this moment and I pray for this house and those watching on television that God, you help us remember that we need a Savior and that you help us realize that there is right and wrong. There is a standard of living in the universe and that standard comes from you, the source of all life. And God, I ask that you help us to truly value and appreciate Jesus. And thank you that you're helping us grow into our righteousness, grow into our relationship with you. Because of you, we can be truthful. Because of you, we can serve the one true living God. Because of you, we don't have to have murder in our heart or hate in our heart. Because of you, we can be freed from sin and the dominion of sin where it no longer has dominion or domination over us. We thank you, God, that you not only forgave us, you set us free, and you made us sons and daughters. I pray today that we fall in love with Jesus all over again. And like I keep saying, that we hold on to you no matter what in life might be happening. We will not let go of the antidote. We will not let go of the Savior. And we are thankful for you in Jesus' name. Would you just celebrate Jesus one more time? We celebrate you, Jesus. Celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate you, Jesus. I didn't have time to preach on it, but there is a, there, sin does exist, it's real, and there's no other solution ever offered in this world by anyone else. You ever think about that? Like all these other religions, all these other opinions, they don't know what to do with sin, so they just have to say it doesn't exist. But Christianity dealt with the sin, paid for the sin, set you free from the sin, and made you righteous before God. I'm telling you, it goes on and on, the goodness of God in this message. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages and penalty of that sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today I wanna to give you an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord Jesus to save you. Would you bow your heads one more time for 30 seconds? I'm gonna to count to three. And when I do, you say, Pastor Kevin, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. I don't remember a time in my life that I ever asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. When I count to three and you wanna pray that prayer, just raise your hand right where you are and we'll pray for you. Or you may say, I used to have a relationship with the Lord, but I've walked away and I've grown cold. 
and I'd like to recommit myself to Jesus today. If that's you, you can pray that prayer with me too. When I count to three, just raise your hand. Ready? On the count of three, if you need to get right with God for one reason or another and receive Jesus, just raise your hand right at your seat. One, two, three. If that's you, would you put your hand up right where you are? There's a hand right there. Wonderful. Anybody else over here? Just put it up high. Yeah, I see that one. Anyone else today? Just put it up. Put it up. I need to get right. Don't leave this place out of relationship with God today. There's a hand right there, a second hand. Awesome. Wonderful. Third hand in the back, I see you. Thank you. Anybody else today? Church, would you pray this prayer with them so they're not praying by themselves and maybe you're praying this at home today? Just repeat this prayer with me. Mean it with your heart. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate those three? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.